I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Hello, all you beautiful, wonderful, giving people out there. This is Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. And uh, are you a philanthropist? Would you like to be? Well, if we are to give of not just ourselves, but our resources to help others, then we all are, in a sense, philanthropists. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I would like to be known as one of the most giving guys ever. And I like to direct where my giving's going, if we're honest about it. Uh, We'll get into the whole taxes versus philanthropy debate here, but I think you get the idea. As believers, we can do great things with what God has entrusted to us if we are obedient. Uh, And there are smart ways to do it, smarter ways to do it. We're going to talk about some of these things today. Is it important? Uh, Can I be better at it? How can I do that? Because we are in, according to today's guest, A Giving Crisis. This is a book that just dropped yesterday called The Giving Crisis. It is by Andrew McNair. He is the host of the Rich, Young, Powerful podcast. Uh, And he joins us today to help us all think about giving in a more correct, more efficient, and more impactful way. Andrew, great to have you on Life Today Live. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. So, you know, I, I teased it, and I went with the title of the book. It says The Giving Crisis. Are we really in a giving crisis? And if so, why? Sadly, we are. Um, if you go back and compare to the great generation of the Great Depression, so um, the title actually comes from when my grandfather sadly lost his wife of over 60 years. And I was the only bachelor uh, that was young enough to go move in with my uh, grandfather. My mom asked me, she said, do you want to go be with your grandfather and give him some company? I said, absolutely. I said, I I would love to help out. Little did I know he was really helping me out. He gave me a different uh, sense of what the great generation was all about. Being in the Great Depression, he understood what it was like to go without 25 plus percent unemployment. But what I didn't know at the time was that the great generation um, of that that decade actually gave more during the Great Depression than we do today. Percentage adjusted for inflation, even with single income households. Now we have double income households and they actually gave more back then than they do today when economically we have our ups and downs, but we are more prosperous than any other generation in history. Now, is that possibly uh, or partially because today and I guess I am going to get into this, but the government takes in taxes to do what uh, neighbors used to have to do. Like, in other words, if, if someone was hungry, well, I, I had to give them food. If, mm. You know, my neighborhood or my church would give them food. And we still do that today. We still see that. But yet we also think of, you know, programs like WIC, uh, right. where taxpayer money is going to take care of the neighbors, uh, the people in our community who are in a, in a crisis themselves. Has, has, have the times kind of changed I'm glad you asked that. You know, actually, historically, we know that the top marginal tax bracket today is 37%. But for the last 100 years, the top marginal federal tax bracket on average has been near 60%. And it's been 90% 14 times in U.S. history. (laughs) So actually, we have the lowest taxes in a long time, and we're still less generous. 
Okay. So why is that? Are there fewer people in church or is it the people in church that are less generous? You know, I, I think it's, I think, it, you know, we should impact culture more than culture should impact us as believers. I, I truly believe that what's happened is our expectations have increased faster than our expectations. It, everyone's house is roughly 32% bigger than it was 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now everyone has to have their own car and everyone, everyone has to have their own iPhone. Everyone has to have their own TV and we have double incomes to support that lifestyle. And we've got away from what we think is really discretionary versus mandatory, like housing, water, uh, electricity. Those are essentials. And a lot of things that we think are essentials just aren't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I can't quite tell how old you are, but I know my children who are all in their twenties. If you if they had to go without a smartphone, they, I don't think they could make it. They certainly couldn't find their way across town. So yes, and we don't want to you know go back you know ten steps. I mean, technology is here to stay. I would say that's now mandatory. I mean, you can't even sign into your bank account without a, a cell phone. But there's so many things that are sadly frivolous that we spend money on that we could take a red pen to for sure. Yeah. Starbucks. Um, so, what do we? Uh, what do we? How, what do we need to adjust? Uh, just what is discretionary? What is necessary? I mean, is it that simple? Or are there some other things that we need to start maybe thinking about differently in order to be? Yeah, I think it's a mindset. Um, but I also think there's plenty of tangible things that can be done. Um, the mindset, the formula that I. Uh, preach to young people and older people is 10, 20, 70. We have to begin tithing 10%. That's what the Lord calls us to. It's very clear in the Old Testament, New Testament scriptures that we should be tithing. And then we should also be saving. And when I say savings, I really mean long-term investing 20%. And then we should live on 70%. So that's the mindset. But the tangible is every time that you give an, you get an, a payroll increase because of a cost of living adjustment, a promotion, Um, Any reason that your income or business has an increase in income, you should say, hey, our our income is 5% larger than it was last year. Why don't we split the difference? Why don't we give 1% to 2% more? Why don't we save a little bit more? And why don't we spend a little bit more? And we split the difference. Mm. And I think if we did that, we could make incremental changes and everyone could be an everyday philanthropist. Do you get, um, I don't want to start uh, or uh, theological debates, but how deep into the the, the tithing, because, I mean, you know, Old Testament tithing, it was 20% or 30%, depending on the year. Sure. Uh, and there's there are those who look at tithing differently through a New Testament lens, less mm. mathematically or legalistically, because Jesus told the rich man to give everything he had. So, I mean, right. it's, it's a giving attitude as directed by God, which doesn't necessarily translate to a hard number or percentage. Um, just, I'm just curious. I'm not going to debate. With I'm you. glad you asked. I mean, I, Hey, you can open that can of worms. I'm happy to answer it. The everyday philanthropist YouTube channel that I created is there to answer those tough questions. And here's the facts. Uh, if you, you know, everyone likes to become a biblical scholar, if it means that they can get out of something. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. here's what I do know is that tithing predates Levitical law with Abraham and, and Jacob. Yep. And then it's it's after the law. And people say, well, Jesus never talked about tithing. Actually, he did. He told the Pharisees, don't you know neglect justice and mercy, but also don't neglect tithing too. And then he said, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God's what is God's. And what is God's? At least a tithe. But I would say 
everything that you can even die to yourself. So, and a lot of people say, well, he didn't ask everyone to leave everything. No, he didn't, but he did ask a lot of them to. So anytime we try to cross, you know, you know, hairs with how much we should give to God, I think we're in dangerous territory. We should be asking, what's the littlest I need to, to live on to be comfortable for me and my family and to be a good steward and protect my family and not be dependent upon the federal government. But then everything else I want to be generous with because he's been so generous to me. Yeah, I, I really do believe it comes very much down to obedience, learning to hear the voice of God, the sheep, know the voice of the shepherd is possible, mm-hmm. uh, and then acting on it. Uh, you know, Jesus said, those who love me are the ones not who just hear my words, but do them. Doers. And, and yeah. so, yeah, we become doers. And it may mean some things that don't make sense on an income you know spreadsheet uh, at times. Uh, and that's why it has to be directed to God. If you just think I'm going to con God and, and to do an extra for me or something, you know, right. we really get down to the heart, which is the tough part sometimes to look at. I mean, uh, I don't know. Can Christians be greedy? Do you think? Ooh, um, can we be greedy? Yeah. I mean, we can, we can have sin in our life. I mean, um, we're not, we're on this side of heaven. We're not going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean that we wallow in the sin. I mean, Ephesians, uh, I believe chapter five is very serious talking about don't hang out with greedy idolaters. I mean, that was me. I, I, and I wrote The Giving Crisis because the only person I'm qualified to speak to is the person I once was. And that was a greedy person. I was a workaholic. Mm-hmm. I wanted all of the money. Legally, ethically, however I could get to it, I wanted everyone's money. And people say, well, I can't relate. Well, you'd be surprised. Some people that are poor are still greedy. That's and some true. people that are rich are still greedy. And I just uh, luckily got brought to my knees and repented. Um, of my greediness. And I, and I have to deal with that addiction every day where I want to be greedy again. But what I do is I know that if I give radically away, then greed has no control over me because I can't lose or ever be uh, lose or um, ever want to acquire too much because I know I'm going to give it away. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're talking to Andrew McNair. Uh, he is the author of a book called the giving crisis it's available now just uh just hit stores uh yesterday so i mean you you go get it right very now. exciting yeah i bet you are excited congratulations by the way i also want to show you his website uh this is richyoungpowerful.com so you can find the podcast there you can find some uh other uh, things that if this is something that you're going okay i, I want to learn a little more uh or maybe i want to hear more from Andrew, you can certainly check out the website there. So please do that. I have a question. You, you mentioned that, uh, you were, you were greedy essentially. Mm. Uh, and, and, uh, very much so God brought you to your knees. Is there a story there? Cause that wasn't in my tip sheet. Oh no, there, there is, there's a good story there. <laughs> um, at the age of 14, I started interning at a financial firm. My parents oh, handed wow. me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's it's a good finance book, but it turned me on to a world of finance I didn't know existed. And I started interning at this financial firm and I loved it. And then I started wanting to retire early. There's this financial independence retire early movement. And I thought that's going to be me. I'm going to retire at 40. So I started actually waiting tables at Denny's and I'd saved up $62,000 by the age of 16, believe it or not. Holy cow. And then 2008 happened, and then I stuck my money into the market with all those financial uh, knowledge I had acquired. I doubled it to $142,000. Oh, my gosh. 
So you can imagine I was 18. I thought I had the Midas touch. I was, re, you know, Warren Buffett reincarnated. <laughs> and um, luckily, UNH, the University of Hard Knocks, called in the tuition payment and I lost everything. And so that greedy voice that was always over my shoulder saying, work harder, make more. <laughs> you think you have a lot? You don't have nothing. You could probably work harder. You could probably save more. You should be a millionaire by 22. Why are you taking so long? When it, When that was all gone, all the money was gone that greedy voice disappeared. And that's what sin does is it riles you up and says, you, you know, you should keep on looking at her. You should probably cheat on your spouse. And it's these little incremental, you know, small voices that they never jump out and just, you know, go from zero to 60. They slowly incrementally, you know, build. And then when you have sinned and you're broken and you're bankrupt spiritually and bankrupt financial, in my case, the sin had already moved on to its next victim. Greed had moved on, and I was left trying to pick up the pieces. Huh. That's um, that's a tough one. Mm. Uh, when you look back on that, are you grateful for it? I'm so fortunate because I didn't waste decades after decades climbing up on a roof saying, oh, okay, I made a million. Now I need to make two million. And then, and then every time I leveled up, I would just be unhappier and happier. And so when I did start having a lot of financial success in the second chapter of my life financially, that, that voice started creeping back. But this time I had the, I had the Holy Spirit. I had scripture. And I was able to be out in the wilderness, not alone this time. And it was a different story because I started giving radically and I haven't looked back. And it's kind of crazy because I keep on trying to outgive God and he keeps on winning. <laughs> yeah, he can do that. Uh, he does. But, you know, I, that it's hard sometimes to look at different people uh, because we look on the outside. We tend to and really, mm. God, you know, God's interested on the inside. Uh, and, and most people, I think my perception is, um, this is your arena, so correct me if I'm wrong, but most people, um, they want to be, you know, better givers and maybe they are actually giving as much as they can. But for most people, money is, uh, just something, it's a necessity. Uh, sure. and it's, there's, you know, usually not enough of it if we're, you know, if we're honest, <laughs> there's always more month at the end of the money. Right. You know, <laughs> so how do we. You talk about a worry-free money formula. Mm. What what do we? How do we not worry about money, whether we have plenty of it and and not worship it, or whether we feel like we never have enough, and we don't want to, you know, you you don't have to idolize money for money to be a problem. You just sure. may be struggling month to month, which is where so many people live. What's What's this? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're poor or rich, this is this is not a, you know, income threshold problem or income threshold sin. Mm. Um, no, I mean, it, it affects everyone. If you're thinking about money and you're worrying about money, that means the worry free formula I talk about in my book is that you are in charge of your money divided by how much time it takes you to figure out that that you're out of control when you put anybody else at the center of your universe other than God, where he deserves to be on his throne. And we do that financially. We're asking for trouble. We're asking for worry and anxiety. And the faster we can say, what is God's will for my stewardship? It, it, then you divide that by time. It doesn't take very much time of God's will to figure out, wow, that's where he belongs to be at the center of my finances. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've let him in, uh, in my heart for salvation. Maybe I've let him into this room with my 
um, you know, relationships, but I won't let God into my financial relationship with money. Well, if that's the case, you've barred that door in your soul where you don't let the Lord come in. Probably that's why you have a lot of worry and anxiety about money. And that's at the heart of the issue that we need to get to. Yeah. And I really do think that that's, unfortunately, that's sometimes the last place we get to after mm. going through all the hard knocks, right? But really, that's sure. that's the place that God wants to start. On the flip side of that, if we get our stewardship right, which is very important to Jesus, he literally told parables about it that have very, very strong terms involved, uh, and we learn to become obedient, generous, joyful givers, uh, how how does that change? Well, two questions. We'll start with the, the giver. How does it change the giver? Uh, Jesus was very clear as wherever your heart is, there's your treasure also and vice versa. And that's why I think it's so important that those who are followers of Christ are very generous and very giving because that shows you where your heart is. And it's a reflection. It's like a contrast dye when you're, you maybe have a surgical operation and they need to see what's leaking. And if you have a leaky heart, you know, let's use some contrast dye to see where it's leaking. And money does that. <laughs> if you want to know what's a priority for you, maybe check your checking account, check your calendar. I love David Platt, the pastor, talked about. He says if they're wearing an Alabama jersey and on their bank statement it says Alabama football tickets, probably a good chance they're an Alabama football fan. And and so it depends what your calendar and checking will do. It'll reveal what's a priority to you. And I, I want my priorities to be very clear in my checking and calendar that it is God first, family second, you know, being a good steward of money for investments. And then I spend on all my hobbies after. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I can tell you that's true because I have a two-year-old grandson now, and it seems like I'm buying more toys now than I did with my own kids. So, <laughs> yes, my wife that Amazon. reveals you're a good grandpa. <laughs> so it's a good grandma, I sure. But I'm, I hope I am a good grandma. But she comes, she says, "Hey, can we can we get this?" I'm like, "Yes, we can get that for him. It's great." But that is so true. I mean, we we don't tend to routinely, I find put the money where we, we want our heart to be. It's like, mm. it's like, no, that's, that's where our heart is because when our money's there. It follows, you know, it's like, if you, if yeah, anyway, you get, and we point. know God's will, right? I mean, it's not like he kept it from us. Where does he want our money to go? Where does he want our heart to go? He says to the orphan, to the widow, to the sojourner, to those that are down and out, to those that need to uh, the least of these, that's who we give to. Of course, we're obedient to our local church because they're servicing the ministries to help those families. But we need to be doing additional giving, additional offerings to those who that our heart breaks over the most. And maybe for you, it's for widows. Maybe for others, it's sex trafficking. Hmm. And what I want people to do is say, not only am I giving my money, I'm giving my life over to being the end to something. Like sex trafficking makes me so mad that I'm going to dedicate righteously angry about it, that I'm going to dedicate my time. I'm going to dedicate my money and I'm going to dedicate uh, whatever resource I have to help those people that have uh, actually earthly needs. But they also need spiritual needs, too, to be met. And I'm going to go after that need and fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And so and that's the second half of my question. How does uh, a, a giving culture, a giving generation impact those who are on the recipient end? Mm. Um, 
ask the question one more time. I want to make sure I get this right for you. Well, so, I mean, take the person who's caught in sex trafficking. Um, mm. If When the church steps up, or a Christian individual even steps up and says, I'm going to give my finances, uh, and, you know, perhaps there's time tied with that too, uh, I've, I've seen huge impacts on the recipient. I mean, I've literally had people, you know, someone cry, a stranger go, why would you, why would you do that for me? You seeing the transformation in the recipients, those who are in need when we do what we're supposed to do something, something you don't see when they get a check from the government. Nobody cries when they get a check from the government, you know? Right. Uh, No one does um, because there's, there's no gospel good news usually tied to a government check. Here's what I know is if you go back to the first century church, the original giving generation, Mm -hmm. I love this part of the scripture where it says they gave to those in need. And then the people around them, the government, everyone around them was curious. And uh, I actually just had Chris Tomlin come on my podcast and his his organization is for others. And he said, it, there's 400,000 kids in the foster system. He says, I'm, I want my legacy to be the end of that. Mm-hmm. And I said, isn't that great that if you actually were to do that and 400,000 kids came off the foster system, he said, uh, the CNN, all the news channels, no, the world wouldn't know what to do. He would say, hey, these churches, these crazy Christians have figured out the foster system, and they we just don't have any kids in the foster system anymore. Yeah. The people would be so serious. Like, they would be so curious and so serious of, to say, what's different about these people? And that's what I want to see again is where people, unbelievers, look at Christians and they say, it doesn't add up. Why are they giving their money away while I'm trying to spend my whole life trying to get more? And they're giving it away. And what's crazy is some of them don't even have anything to give. Yeah. And we saw that in the first century church, and we saw that with the widow giving uh, her widow's might. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 it. Great example, by the way. Thank you for that. You get you get to talk to a lot of good people on the podcast. You have fun do. doing that. Oh, I love it. You know, they say don't meet your heroes. I get to, I've met some of them, so they're pretty cool people. So, for people that aren't familiar with the Rich and Powerful uh, podcast, give us a little quick overview and how often sure. you do it, where they can find it, things like that. Yeah, we have two guests on a month and athletes, uh, artists, uh, philanthropists, people from Dabo Sweeney to uh, Danny Gokey to uh, pastors like David Platt and Craig Rochelle. And we're having these uh, people come on to share how they've dedicated their life to a ministry, a mission, and they've set their life on the uh, the end of that that need here earthly. But they're also tying it into the spiritual consequences that these people not only need fresh water, but they also need eternal living water Mm -hmm. and they're dedicating not only their money but also their time the resources everything to it and that's what i want to encourage everyone to do because an everyday philanthropist to me is not someone that's rich and old and ready to give money at the end of their life it's someone that says no i'm going to start giving a large percentage of my income and net worth now and i'm not going to wait till i die to do it yeah and and dude you nailed it uh and we've seen it here at life outreach international where we you know the We've been drilling water wells for decades. One of the, one of our important outreaches, feeding people through our emergency food programs, and there are other people in in a lot of these places, uh, a lot of NGOs, even some governmental organizations, and and I applaud anytime someone's meeting someone else's need, but it, it's sure. it's different. It's different when Christ is attached to it, mm. uh, and it opens doors. Uh, you know, a, a missionary in Africa told me years ago that it's very hard to to teach a child we do a lot of our feeding at schools in southern sub-saharan africa he says it's very hard to teach a child who's who's hadn't eaten in several days 
Now, you can't focus when you're hungry. I mean, we want them hungry for the yeah. Lord, but we want them to be somewhat satiated, you know, earthly. Yeah, no, yeah. You have to meet the physical needs. And I think that's why Scripture pointedly tells us to do that. Uh, if, if you're, It's hard to tell someone of the living water of Christ when they're dying of thirst, you know, or a waterborne mm. disease. And so the, the philanthropy is not just a nice warm thing where you can go, okay, I did my bit. It's, it's an earth-changing thing. It's a culture-changing thing, uh, and it's an eternal impact thing. I, I think the two are just inextricably tied. So I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, I, I, I hope what we've stirred up is not people feeling any kind of condemnation or guilt of, no, maybe I, don't, I haven't done enough. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying at all. We're, we're saying that there are blessings tied to being— the 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 type of giver the joyful giver because most people don't have a lot of joy in it they do it begrudgingly or out of checking a box but when that shifts and we don't want any of that no we really don't and and when that shifts and it becomes a god heart giving there is such joy in it and there's power in it last word from absolutely You know, I just go back to Zacchaeus so often, and Zacchaeus and Rich Young Rule are actually very close usually uh, in the book uh, of the Bible. So I love the duality of these two is you see Zacchaeus, who is so thankful that the Lord looked up in the tree and saw him. And he called him down. He called him by name. And after he has salvation has been brought to his house, his what is his response to salvation? gratitude and generosity. I want to give half my income away. I want to pay anyone else that I've wronged. And that's that's what I want my life. And I and and again, it's not about out of guilt that I'm trying to encourage people to give. It's actually just to be grateful, grateful and remember their salvation. And if we just stay in the moment of our salvation, I think you'll be overwhelming of gratitude. And, and I think if we don't let ourselves over to radical generosity, we're the ones that are missing out. We're the ones that need to be given to. We need to actually get closer to the Father. And when we give this radically, we get closer to the Father because we're putting our heart aligned with His will. And so I don't want anyone to miss out on that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Great message. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for being here. Uh, I appreciate you for having me on. Absolutely. And thank you, you guys, for watching. If you want to be a radical giver, someone that people go, why would they do that? The philanthropist with a higher purpose pick up the giving price crisis the giving crisis is uh, available wherever you get books right now once you're in the right direction we can make a big change we'll see you again next time here on life today live